If you have your Bibles, turn open or open them to Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We're going to dig into these scriptures. We're going to unpack them. Now, while you're turning there, there are two things that I want to address as background material. The first one is Acts 15. We dealt with Acts 15 in the introduction, but I want to go over it again because it's so important. In Acts 15, verse 1, we read this, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, or teaching the Christians, quote, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now think about the import of that. Because we're all familiar with Romans 10, 9, and 10. Paul writes there, If you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, or confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. What these men are saying is you have those two requirements, and you must be circumcised according to the custom of Moses before you can be saved. You understand where we're coming from with that. Now, what's interesting here is that they don't say, according to the covenant with, with Abraham, because that's where circumcision actually originated. They say, according to the custom of Moses. And Moses came way later, and you'll see that in the letter to the Galatians. Uh, verse 2 in Acts 15, And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. That's what we're dealing with in Galatians. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. Now think about this. All that God had done with them in the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, during the series, you're going to hear me talk about the Gentiles and also the pagans, because they're one and the same. Gentiles is Latin for pagans or foreigners. So, uh, one thing about Gentiles or pagans in looking at the background is that you have the Jews who worship the God of Israel. Then you have the rest of the world. And the rest of the world, uh, they worship whatever gods they come up with. And they might be respectable gods. They might be gods that are popular, you know, in certain countries, certain nations. But they're basically all pagans. You have the God of Israel who is the one God, the only God, who is uh, the God of, God of the Jews, and then you have everybody with their own gods. I mean, that is how the world was split up, and that's how the world is uh, viewed, actually, in the New Testament until, what, until the church comes. Now, in verse 5, it says, but, and this is in Jerusalem, but some believers, these are Christians, these are part of the church, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them. Who's them? These Gentiles that 
Paul and Barnabas have preached to, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The law of Moses was known as the Torah or the Torah. Sometimes the Torah or Torah meant all the Hebrew scriptures, the law, the prophets, and what we call the writings, the the Psalms and the Proverbs and those types of, of books. So get the picture in your mind. I mean, see this for what it is, because Paul and Barnabas go up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, what, the church in Jerusalem. And in that church, there are believers who rise up from the party of the Pharisees, former Pharisees, and they say, hey, Christians not only need to believe or call Jesus Lord, and that God raised him from the dead, but also they need to be circumcised in accordance with, they say, to keep the law of Moses. Important stuff, because as this account says, there was no small dissension and debate about that. Now, the second thing that I want to bring up before we dive into verses 1 through 5 is what you might consider to be the Jewish exemption. And instead of, you know, trying to give a history lesson on this, I want to couch it in terms of Scripture. So you don't have to turn there, but this is out of John 11, and this is after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. We read this in verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. This is the raising of Lazarus. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered to gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now notice what they're saying. They're saying, Hey, this guy is raising somebody from the dead, and Everybody's going to follow after him. This is a messianic figure, actually. said, what are we going to do? Because if, if all these people believe in him, the Romans will come because what Jesus is doing is semi-political. I mean, these days we've separated politics and religion. They're far apart, you know. Back in those days, they were almost one and the same. You know, so you have um, you have the Jews saying the Romans will come and take away both our place, which is the temple and our nation. See, what the Jews had worked out is that when you go back to Deuteronomy, they are in exile. They lost the first temple and they're in a long exile. They're waiting for the prophecy of Malachi to come to be, and that is where the Lord suddenly reappears in the temple. So while that is going on, while they're waiting in this exile state, they've worked out a deal with Rome. Basically, Rome requires everybody to worship Caesar. Said, well, you guys might be pagans, you know, you might have your own gods, but you need to add Caesar to your gods and you need to worship him because that would inculcate loyalty to Rome. But, they, but Rome couldn't do that with the Jews because the Jews said, well, there is only one God, the God of Israel, and we're not going to bow down to Caesar that way. So Rome, instead of going to war with the Jews, just basically said, okay, uh, you maintain your stuff. We'll have a, 
will ma- maintain a detente with you, but everybody else, they have to bow their knee. So that's what the Jews are talking about here. They're saying, you know, if, if we ruffle Rome's feathers, then the Romans are going to come in and take away both our temple and our nation. And we can't have that. So you have Caiaphas, the high priest, who says, you guys don't know anything. You can sacrifice one man, uh, and so the whole nation won't perish. And so they decided to put Jesus to death. That's what the account in John 11 says. So we have those two things to keep in mind as we're going down through Galatians. Now let's go ahead and go to the text. We're not going to hit those things today because those things are in the body of the letter, but there are things to realize, things to know, you know, things to keep in your pocket as we work our way down, because uh, Paul is responding, and he's responding to this issue that's come up, that these uh, believing Pharisees, you know, Paul was a Pharisee uh, before He was a Pharisee on the road to Damascus when Jesus appeared to him. So you have believing Pharisees saying, no, uh, Christians need to keep the law of Moses. And that is an issue. So let's go ahead and read. I'll go ahead and read the uh, verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to dig in and unpack these. Paul writes this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, But through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, grace to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, this might seem like a short uh, short passage to you. I mean, it's just five verses, but boy, it's packed. One thing about Galatians is that it's jam-packed and it's dense. So in going through the letter, we're gonna we're gonna hit the letter this way. We're gonna we're gonna do everything we can to keep things tight. We want to understand Paul's train of thought. You know, a lot of times in churches, uh, we go from scripture to scripture, hop from letter to letter, uh, without any regard to the authors, without any regard to the context, but we're not going to do that here. We want to pay attention to the context, but here's the thing about Galatians. Paul writes in such a compact, dense way that we do have to go, or I will go through some of his other letters and bring in scriptures to kind of unpack what he's saying to us. And I'm going to do that here in these first verses. So let's go ahead and dive in. Paul starts out very hot, not with a normal greeting. It's not like, hey, how are you? No, he starts out hot. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So what's he doing here? He's establishing his authority with these Galatian believers. He's establishing his apostleship in the gospel to these believers. He says, I'm an apostle. 
I'm not an apostle who has been um, who's been ordained by anybody. I'm not anybody's pupil. I am not a secondhand preacher. He says, I'm an apostle, not from men, men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He's establishing his authority because there is this crucial issue that's come up about the gospel. Now let's break down verse 1 so you can see the import of what he's saying. First he says, let's go to God the Father. That is the God of Israel. Now to us, that doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. But back then, like I said, the world was divided into two camps. You had Israel and the God of Israel, and then you had everybody else. In Ephesians, we read, he describes pagans and says, hey, you're outside the commonwealth of Israel without hope and without God in the world. I mean, that is the viewpoint. But what's interesting here is that he says he's an apostle from the God of Israel. That's important to keep in mind because Israel becomes big in the letter to the Galatians. He also says the Father, and we'll get into it even deeper as we go deeper into the letter, but the Father is he's writing to former pagans, and he's calling God the Father. And we see that he calls God our Father, both Paul's, uh, Paul's father and their father. Important to note that. We take that for granted, but that is not to be taken for granted. Amen. And then we back up a little bit, and he says, but through Jesus Christ... Now, Christ is not a proper name. We treat it that way today, but it's not a proper name in the Bible. It is a title. It is something that Israel was looking for. So you could read it as through Jesus the Christ. You go back into the Greek manuscripts, and Jesus Christ used to have um, used to be abbreviated just because the, the scribes, you know, were writing everything down as fast as they could, and they didn't want to write things over and over. But it's Jesus the Christ. Remember in the introduction, Paul went everywhere preaching that Jesus was the Christ. Now, the interesting thing about Christ is, uh, Christ is Greek for Messiah. And pagans didn't have any kind of Messiah. They weren't looking for anybody to save them. They weren't looking for anybody, you know, for the consolation of their nations. They were just out there without hope and without God in the world. But Israel did have hope and did have the God of Israel. And what Paul is saying here, that he is an apostle through this Messiah, this hero image, this hero person of Jesus. Amen. So he says he's an apostle not not from men, nor through man. I'm not a Harvard man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, he says, who raised him from the dead. Now, that's, that puts a spike in the ground. That was, that was the thing that, you know, on the road to Damascus, 
Jesus appears to the Apostle Paul. I mean, he was persecuting, what, Jewish believers. And then Jesus appears to him and said, why are you persecuting me? Because he was raised from the dead. And Paul's gospel is all wrapped around the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is no small thing. That changed everything. And as we go through Galatians, actually in our life, we should always be conscious of the fact that the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ changed everything, changed the world as we knew it. Amen. And should change everything about our own lives, our own personal lives. So he's an apostle who stakes out his spiritual authority to these believers. And in verse 2, he says, and all the brothers who are with me. Now, that's a verse that we, to the, well, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. We usually just breeze through that without even thinking about what he's writing about. You know, said, okay, all the brothers. But look at the context. Paul used to be a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee who, what, persecuted the church. And at the time, those were Jewish Christians, Jewish believers. And now he's writing to former pagans who are believers. And he says, hey, I'm not alone. I'm with brothers. The remarkable thing is that he, as a former Pharisee, can say that he is with brothers who are of different ethnicities, different cultural backgrounds, and different moral backgrounds. Why? Because they have become Christians. And Christians, we are all in one family. So you see that time and time again in his letters. And the word brothers here means brothers and sisters. So he says, I'm with all the brothers. We are all one family. And boy, that's going to come out in Galatians big time. He said, with all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. And he's basically with brothers and he's writing to brothers, uh, Christians, who used to be pagans, who used to worship other gods, but have now been saved and are now in the Messiah. Then in verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this grace and peace is not just an introduction. It's just not a nice introduction to say, Oh yeah, grace and peace to you. Because it's attached to verse 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Grace and peace are redemptive. In fact, when you look at verse 3 and 4, that's an encapsulated gospel. You know, in business, they say, hey, you need to have an elevator speech. Somebody asks you what you do or whatever, you know, you should be able to, to deliver it in one or two sentences. This is the gospel in one or two sentences. Notice what he says. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. I mean, isn't that great? So right here, these two verses could take months and months to preach because it's an encapsulated gospel. But let's unpack it a little bit so we understand where he's coming from. He says, from God our Father, notice again that he is writing to Galatian Christians and he says, God our Father. Remember when Jesus was resurrected, he said, go tell, go tell the disciples that I am ascending to my God and our God, my Father and our Father. Why? Because we are one in the Messiah, which means that we are one family. Hallelujah. And then he says, not just Jesus Christ, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And that reflects his exaltation after he's been resurrected. Now, verse 4 is interesting because he says, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now, like I said, you know, this is compact. This is very dense. But let me go to a couple verses to kind of, other verses, other letters, to kind of unpack this a bit. You know, Paul could have said, well, um, in verse 1, he said, who raised him from the dead. Here in verse 4, he says, who gave himself. He didn't say who died. He could have, but he didn't. In fact, he's emphasizing something else. He's emphasizing Jesus' self-giving in his death, burial, and resurrection. Let me read this to you. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. Because this gives a little bit more flesh to what Paul is saying when he said he gave himself for our sins. Paul writes in Philippians 2, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or seized. But he emptied himself, that's that giving, that self-giving, by taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men, and being, being found in the form of man, he humiliated himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul emphasizes it wasn't just death. I mean, he goes all the way down. The Lord empties himself all the way down, all the way to death, and he says, not just death only, but death on a cross. And we're going to see in the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 3, verse 13, just what that meant, death on a cross, because that's just not a normal death. I mean, it, is a, it was a singular death for us. Now, going back up to... Uh, going back to verse 4, oh, well, let me read the rest of Philippians, I'm sorry. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Because why? He humiliated himself all the way down to death. And that's where you see Paul saying the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's exalted. 
Now, going back to Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Who gave himself for our sins. Let's stop right there and let's camp on this a minute. He says, For our sins. Now, he's not writing to Israelites, he's not writing to Jews. But Jesus is the Christ, and Jesus is Israel's Messiah. But notice that he gave himself for our sins, and Paul is writing to former pagans. So this giving of himself, of this Israel's Messiah, was for not just the sins of Israel, but for all our sins. And we're going to find out how that works later on in the letter. Now, why did he do that? Paul answers that question. It says, to deliver us from the present evil age. Now, this, this is big, and this is something that you don't hear in church all that often. In church today, it's all about the forgiveness of sins, right? I mean, that's what we hear about. You know, come down front and ask God to forgive you your sins and everything. Paul says here that he gave himself to deliver us from the present evil age. Deliver means, uh, deliver implies some kind of slavery. And in fact, delivery or to deliver someone actually rings some of Exodus. Remember in Exodus with Israel, they were enslaved by Egypt and then God delivered them. He took them out through the Red Sea into into the wilderness to get out from the enslavement. So Jesus' death does not simply procure forgiveness of sins. It's a whole lot more than that. And this is a present tense deliverance. Let Let me go to Acts 26 to expand a little bit on this enslavement, this deliverance that he has from the present evil age. In Acts 26, Jesus is commissioning Paul in his apostleship. And we read this in verse 18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. Now listen to this. And from the authority of Satan to God. Now wait a minute. From the authority of Satan to God? Yes. Jesus tells Paul that Both the Jews and the Gentiles are under the authority of Satan, and the purpose of his apostleship is to proclaim the gospel so that they can go from the authority of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, but it didn't just stop there, in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Let me give you another one. This is Ephesians 2.2. Paul is writing about... Uh, writing about those who are outside the covenant, what their life was like before receiving the light of the gospel. He said, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. And actually, it's uh, the, the Greek says the age of the cosmos. The course of this world, the age of the cosmos, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience or animates the sons of disobedience. 
That is the state that his what? His self-giving delivers us out of, that enslavement. And enslavement becomes a big thing in the letter to the Galatians. So really what Paul is talking about here is his self-giving for our sins translates us into an entirely new reality. It's not just the forgiveness of sins. Amen. But it's, he delivers us from the present evil age. And he doesn't stop there. He says, according to the will of our God and Father. Now, we understand a lot of times that, well, this is God's plan of redemption, the God of Israel's plan of redemption. But that becomes very big later on in the letter to the Galatians when we start talking about the law of Moses. Because the law of Moses was instituted by who? The God of Israel. And that's one reason why you see these believing Pharisees saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, the, the, the law of Moses was instituted by the God of Israel. And so anybody who gets saved has to come under that law because we're talking about the God of Israel. Well, we see that that's not the case in the letter to the Galatians. Amen. And then Paul wraps it up by saying, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I mean, that is kind of like a Pentecostal doxology, a Pentecostal praise. He goes through this encapsulated gospel, and then he ends it with, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, let's imagine that you were one of these Galatian Christians. You've just come in, you know, you're meeting in somebody's house. And then somebody says, hey, wait a minute, we've gotten a letter from the Apostle Paul. It's like, ooh, you know, a letter from the Apostle Paul. Let's go ahead and hear it. And so everybody takes a seat. And you're interested to know what the Apostle Paul has to say because rival teachers have come in and they've taught things that Paul is not very happy about. And that's why we read Acts 15. Now imagine you're sitting there and you're hearing this for the first time. You're hearing Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And at that last line, you're uplifted with him. You're like, yes, you just heard the gospel again. It's like, to whom be the glory forever and ever, and you Say amen with him. Amen, you know, and you're happy. And everybody looks around and said, oh yeah, that's the gospel. And then in verse six, he lays the hammer down. But that's the, that's the rub with this message. We're not gonna get to the hammer today. That's for the next message. So to, to conclude this, I say grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To whom be the glory forever and ever.